Reminds me of a story from Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mr. Beaver is talking to Peter, Susan, and Lucy. Edmund's gone to the White Witch, and they want to go rescue him. Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is on the move. Maybe we should go and see him before we try to rescue Edmund. He's the king of this country. He's a great lion. And Lucy says something which I'll never forget. She says, Is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, Of course he isn't safe. He's the great lion. He's not safe. But I can guarantee you, he is good. And that's the same thing that I can say about the Lord Jesus today. He's not safe. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. But he is good, for he has said, Whosoever shall come unto me, I will in no wise cast out. So that is the decision before all of us, whether we will come to him, or whether we will reject him. It truly is a blessing to be here this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, if you could turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 13 the book of Acts 13, uh, we are uh, going to begin to talk about Paul's missionary journeys. Um, we've seen a lot of interesting things to this point uh, for the church of God, and uh, we saw Barnabas... Um, giving Paul the right hand of fellowship and saying Paul is the real deal bringing him to the church at Antioch and working with him in ministry there and then of course the church of Antioch reached out and ministered to another church and they sent Paul and Barnabas to deliver the funds to them and they came back after they were done with that task. Well, now we've come to a place where God is about to send Paul out on his first missionary journey. Now, in my research, I've come to find out that this is about 11 years after Paul's conversion. Um, he, he did not immediately launch out into missionary journeys, but he served the Lord Jesus while he was waiting. Because we read in Acts chapter 9 that as soon as he was converted and Ananias visited him and baptized him, what did he do? He went into the synagogues and he preached that in fact Jesus was the Christ. So this man that had a zeal for God that hated the followers of the way on the road to Damascus he literally fell off his high horse 
And God turned him around 180, and that zeal that he had was now channeled to the Lord Jesus. And so we're going to see God begin to use that in a very powerful way. Um, But let's take some time to go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity this morning to uh, be under the sound of your word. Lord, we pray that you would accomplish what you have to accomplish through the words that we will read and through the intervention of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the promise that you gave us that the Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth. And now we we ask that you would keep that promise for us today, that we would be led into all truth, and that you would receive the honor and the glory, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable to you, O Lord, my Redeemer. I pray for those who are sick and sorrowing today. I thank you that you are with us when we lose loved ones, and I thank you that you will be with us at the end of life. For you have said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, I have three points today. Um, The first one is, God directs, the church listens. So, my title for the sermon today is, God Calls Paul and Barnabas. And the first point is, God directs, the church listens. Let's look at the first four verses of Acts chapter 13. Now there was in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manon which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted the Holy Ghost said Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. So in this first little section here, I want to point out a couple interesting things. First of all, we have people from all walks of life in this group of ministers in the church of Antioch. We have someone that worked with with, that was related to royalty, who was related to Herod the Tetrarch, and somewhere along the way, he came to know the Lord Jesus as Savior. We also have two of Cyrene. One, Simeon, called Niger, who is very much thought to be Simon of Cyrene. And we read about Simon of Cyrene's family in Romans. Paul refers to the mother of Alexander and Rufus as as dear to him as his own mother. So we don't know when this happened, but we can suppose from this that at some point 
through this process of carrying the Lord's cross. And I like to think that maybe he was in that 500 people that saw Jesus alive. It's very possible that Simon of Cyrene not only bowed the knee to the Lord, but became a leader in the church of Antioch. And so we see this eclectic group of people, and we see from this that God does not have a favorite class of people. There are no class systems with God. The ground is level at the foot of the cross, whether you are in the poorest of the poor on the streets of Grand Rapids or whether you are the President of the United States, you still need the redeeming love of our Lord Jesus. And the door is open to you. We also see that as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereon to I have called them. So we see a couple of different things. First of all, they were in tune with the Spirit. They were praying and fasting. They were ministering to the Lord. That word minister has the connotation of worship. They were ever before the Lord. What did Jesus say? He said, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, and you will ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. So they were seeking God for wisdom, and perhaps Paul and Barnabas had expressed this desire to go on this missionary journey. And as they were praying and as they were ministering to the Lord, God said, okay, go ahead, send Paul and Barnabas, separate them for the work whereunto I have called them. And so they listened. And they took some more time and they fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them and then they sent them away. I know that I had had a burden from the time that I was a young boy to preach the word of God. But I also have had that confirmed in me by my father and other people in my life saying, God gave you a message to preach. You need to preach it. When God gives us a calling, he will confirm it to us through other people. Other people will know. It's not just a random thing that, oh, I have a calling that no one else can possibly understand. I suppose that could happen um, on occasion. But typically, God wants to use the local church to support those who are called to minister. And so he confirms the call of Saul and Barnabas, and he says, separate them to the work whereunto I have called them. And isn't it interesting that he didn't call Saul or Barnabas? He called them both. I don't think that God, God for the most part, wants ministry to be a solitary effort. I remember when I was first starting my Speaking for Him ministry and getting it off the ground, and this co-worker of mine at Guiding Light Mission was helping me um, get things launched, and he said, I want to call churches, and I want to tell them about you and, and get, try to get you some speaking engagements. And I got a call from his wife, 
And she said, well, this is your ministry. You can handle it. Because she didn't want him to take away from his family time to help me. And of course, I understand as someone who loves and values the family that if I'm going to going to preach about how important those things are, that I shouldn't take people away from that all-important task. But I also never believed that my calling to ministry was a solo one. And I really, truly count you guys as partners in the fellowship of the gospel. Even as I go to other churches, the support of Holland Gospel Chapel is something that goes with me wherever I go. So, these people were obedient to God. That's one of the first things I want you to see. They were obedient to God. And they weren't just sitting around twiddling their thumbs, waiting for God to say something. They were ministering before the Lord. They were doing what they knew to do already. Remember, the, the apostles said, we're going to preach the word of God and we're going to appoint deacons to serve tables. These were things they already knew that they needed to do and they were doing them. And that is when God spoke to them. And so after God tells them to separate Paul and Barnabas, they do. And they continue to pray for them. And then they send them away. And so, so they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. Seleucia was a seaport about 15 miles away from where they were in Antioch, and then they would go on to Cyprus, which was about 70 miles away, and the bulk of our text will take place at Salamis, which to my understanding was about 90 miles away. So they... They made this this big long journey. And if you look at Acts chapter 4, you find that Cyprus was where Barnabas was from. And we don't read about them needing to evangelize Cyprus. So from what I can understand, there probably was a church there. And Barnabas being the son of encouragement that he was, probably simply wanted to go there and give encouragement to his friends in the gospel. But then they um, will go on from there. But the main thing I want you to see is that even though the church sent them out, what is it? who does it say they were sent forth by? Were they sent forth by the first brethren church in Antioch or the first Baptist church in Antioch? No, they were sent forth by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said, go, and they went. Notice the Holy Spirit didn't tell them exactly where to go. I think, to a certain degree, they had choices to make about where to go. Remember what it says in the Proverbs, man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Sometimes I think we're afraid to go and do something because we're afraid that we'll make the wrong choice. But the Bible says that God closes doors that no man can open, and he opens doors that no man can shut. So I think we can have confidence that they were obedient to the Lord because of the steps they took before they left. 
Paul didn't just wake up at midnight one night and say, I want to go on a missionary journey. Let's go, Barnabas. No, it seems like he went to his church and said, God, God's calling me to go on a missionary journey. And they prayed about it and they were before the Lord and the Lord said, okay, yes, that's true. Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul. We don't know how that happened. We just know that it's in the Bible. And the approach that I take and that we as believers should take to the Bible is God said it and I believe it. Can we look at James 1, verses 5 and 6? James 1, verses 5 and 6. Just want to look at a few verses about God having a purpose for us and God giving us wisdom. So James 1, 5 and 6. So if you lack wisdom, ask God. So that's why these church leaders were praying and fasting for Saul and Barnabas because they said, if, if this is what God wants you to do, God will confirm it. And he did. I think so often we think of prayer as telling God what I want rather than asking God, what would you have me to do? Because I, I can personally attest that God, you'll think you can run from God. You'll think you can do anything else. I, I had this, this thought as, as a young teenager that someday, someday I will serve God. Or I would say even earlier in my life, God, if you'd given me a perfect body, then I could serve you. But since you didn't, I don't know what you're going to do, Lord, but I can't do anything for you. But God kept harassing me and harassing me. And finally, at the age of 14, I said, enough, God, I'll do what you want me to do. And I surrendered to minister for him and to share the gospel wherever I had the chance. And it was another 16 years before God somewhat formalized my ministry. I like to say that it was kind of neat that I started my formal ministry at 30 because someone I know well, a Jewish carpenter, also started his ministry at the age of 30. That, of course, being our Lord Jesus. But God's wisdom prevails. When he has a plan for somebody, they can't get away from it. Jonah tried, remember? He went to Tarshish. He said, I'm not going to Nineveh. And then when he goes to, to Nineveh and he preaches the gospel, what do they do? They repent. And instead of being joy-filled that God used him as a tool of repentance... What does he say? He says, Lord, I knew they would repent. Why did you do that, Lord? And, he, and what did the Lord say? He said, there are 
the hundreds of people in that town that do not know their right hand from their left. Meaning young children. And he said, I decided to spare them. What a wonderful God we serve. And if we can look at Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10. So Paul, in Philippians, talks about all the credentials he had. He said, I'm a a Jew of the Jews. I'm a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I I have riches. I had everything that you could think of as a member of of Jewish royalty, basically. But what did he say? I count it but loss that I might win Christ. He went from having a destructive purpose, like his father the devil, because what does it say about the devil? The thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I am come that they might have life, and then they might have it more abundantly. You see, when Paul uh, was converted on the road to Damascus, he didn't just change directions physically. He didn't just wander into Damascus with no more hatred in his heart. No, he left Damascus with a new purpose in his life. And he writes about that in Ephesians when he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do works which he hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. So his life is no longer his own. He is indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. And his first response upon meeting the Lord on the road to Damascus is, what would you have me to do? And often when we preach the gospel, we talk about all the great things that God gives us when we are converted, and that is very true. But how often do we tell the people that we are sharing the gospel with, that they have a purpose. That they need to ask the question when they are converted, what, Lord, would you have me to do? Because I can guarantee you this, if you are converted by the Holy Spirit of God, He has a plan for you. Notice that it's, again, in the definitive article, I know I say this a lot, but... It's what I love the most about the Bible. God does not mince words. He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for works that God has before ordained that we should walk in them. It doesn't say he might have ordained. It doesn't say maybe we should walk in them. It says we should walk in them. And so that is... That is the backdrop upon which we are beginning this story. We need 
to listen to the Lord Jesus. Writer Charles Swindoll once found himself with too many commitments in too few days. He got nervous and tense about it. I was snapping at my wife and our children, choking down my food at mealtimes and feeling irritated at those unexpected interruptions through the day, he recalled in his book, Stress Fractures. Before long, things around our home started reflecting the pattern of my hurry-up style. It was becoming unbearable. I distinctly remember after supper one evening the words of our younger daughter, Colleen. She wanted to tell me something important that had happened to her that day. She began hurriedly, Daddy, I want to tell you something, and I'll tell you really fast. Suddenly, realizing her frustration, I answered, I answered, Honey, you can tell me, and you don't have to tell me really fast. Say it slowly. I'll never forget her answer. Then listen slowly. And I think we need to have that approach to God. God says what? Be still and know that I am God. And so often we listen to respond. We don't listen to hear. And that affects all of our relationships. I'm just as guilty of that as the next guy. So of course... When you're starting out on a journey for God or when you've had a mountaintop experience, when you've rededicated your life to God, what happens? The devil doesn't like that. So our second point is Satan seeks to destroy. That's his modus operandi. He's a destroyer. And so in Acts chapter 13 verse 5 we read, And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John also, they had also John to their minister. And when they had gone through the isle unto Papyrus, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar Jesus, which was with the deputy of the council, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear word of God. But Elamis the, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. So this is a situation where they are going, and, and this was Paul's pattern, especially early in his ministry. What was it? He would go into the synagogues to preach Christ to the Jews, and then when the Jews would reject him, he would branch out into the Gentiles. That was God's ultimately ultimate plan for Paul. It was revealed to Ananias at the beginning of all of this that Paul would be God's set-apart chosen vessel to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And so they go and they preach in the synagogues, and John Mark is with them. We'll say a little bit more about John later. And when they had gone through the aisle onto Papyrus, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar Jesus. He was a false prophet. He was trying to 
professed that he was a son of Jesus, that he was a follower. And then there's a deputy of the country, a Gentile, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. This is another situation like our friend Cornelius in chapter 10. God planted in this man a desire to hear his word, and so he called for Barnabas and Saul. What does the Bible say? It says, No man comes to me except the Father draws him. And then Jesus said, Also, no man comes to the Father except through me. It's a fully symbiotic relationship. And then the Holy Spirit is sent by the Son as a gift to us. Fully three-in-one, symbiotic relationship. Three persons, one God. We'll never fully understand until we get to heaven. But it's true. And so we have this situation where they run into this false prophet and he's trying to keep Sergius Paulus from hearing the word of God. Seeking to turn him away from the faith. And I believe there are people in pulpits today in America's churches that are seeking to turn people away from the truth. Because we have churches out there where we are not teaching the full counsel of God. Where we say God is love, but we forget to talk about how God is also a God of wrath. That the very love of God was shown to us by the wrath of God being poured out upon Jesus Christ. Reminds me of a story from Chronicles of Narnia, Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. Mr. Beaver is talking to Peter, Susan, and Lucy. Edmund's gone to the White Witch, and they want to go rescue him. Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is on the move. Maybe we should go and see him before we try to rescue Edmund. He's the king of this country. He's a great lion. And Lucy says something which I'll never forget. She says, Is he safe? And Mr. Beaver says, Of course he isn't safe. He's the great lion. He's not safe, but I can guarantee you, he is good. And that's the same thing that I can say about the Lord Jesus today. He's not safe. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. But he is good, for he has said, Whosoever shall come unto me, I will in no wise cast out. So that is the decision before all of us, whether we will come to him or whether we will reject him. Can we look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 15? 
Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. So, Jesus is laying it right out here. They come to you in sheep's clothing. This man, this false prophet, was calling himself Bar-Jesus. Son of Jesus. He was putting forth a good face, and yet he was trying to dissuade Sergius Paulus from the truth. John 10, verses 9 and 10. If someone could read that quickly, I know I referred to it. But John 10, 9 and 10. You know, people today say there's many ways to God. But Jesus put it simply. He said, I am the door. What did he say to Nicodemus in John 3 verse 3? Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. This month in our country is known as Pride Month. A month to love and affirm lifestyles that are anathema to the Lord Jesus. And what is their common refrain? Their common refrain is, I was born this way. What's the remedy to that? The remedy to that is Jesus said, yes, Maybe you were born this way, but that is why you must be born again. Because one birth is of water. That's your flesh birth. For me, that was May 27th, 1979. And then your second birth, your birth of the Spirit, which happens at conversion, because the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise that God is coming back to take us to be with Himself. And that happened for me in April of 1984. One person, two birthdays. I was one way, and now I'm another, and the only difference is Jesus Christ. Napoleon Bonaparte, with his staff officers around him, once spread a large map of the world on a table before him, put his finger on a kingdom colored red, and said, Messieurs, if it were not for this red spot, I could conquer all the world. The red spot was the British Isles. In like manner, Satan might place a huge map of the universe before his court, Put his finger on a place red with blood of the Savior and say to them, If it were not for that red spot, I could conquer the universe. That red spot is the cross on Gargotha's Hill where the Lord of Glory died to save sinners from Satan's power. And praise the Lord that he did. 
So our third point today, Acts 13, 9-13, is the Holy Spirit prevail. So we have a situation where the Holy Spirit sends out Saul and Barnabas. Then they're opposed. Because when great things start to happen, the devil trembles and he sends his opposition. He's very powerful. Let's not miss this. The devil is very powerful. He cannot overcome the Spirit of God. He cannot overcome the Spirit of God. Verse 9, Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes upon him and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy, when he saw what he had done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. So God gave Saul, who was already filled with the Holy Spirit, a special filling, I believe, of the Holy Spirit. When he's, and then he gave him the words to say. What did Jesus tell his disciples? Do not think of the words you will say. For in the hour that you need them, I will give them to you. And I don't know if I would ever be able, apart from the Spirit of God in a specific situation, to be able to say these type of words. But this is what God told Paul to say, and so he said it. O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? Now if that isn't a message that the church in general needs to hear today, I don't know what is. The problem with the modern gospel is we, is we say to people, come as you are, and that part is 100% true. We can't come as different than we are. We can't clean ourselves up before we go to God. But the modern church says it's okay if you stay there. It's okay if you wallow in your sin. We love you. But true love does not just come and lie down in the gutter with someone who is in sin. No, it pulls them out of the gutter. Charles Spurgeon said that if, that if people must go to hell, let them go to hell through our clasped hands seeking to pull them back from its fires. That is a paraphrase. But I love that quote. And that is the way that we should be as we seek to serve the Lord. And this thing that bar Jesus, 
sought to accomplish, dissuading Sergius Paulus from the faith, did not happen. Because what does it say in verse 12? Then the deputy, when he saw what was done, believed, being astonished at the doctrine of the Lord. So, this is another instance of of what the devil meant for evil, God meant for good. What did Paul say? And we know that all things work together for good to those that are called according to his purpose. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. God's enemies will not prevail. That is such a blessing to me as I see the dark world that we are in right now. That God's enemies will not prevail. The Holy Spirit prevails. If we look at Matthew 23.13, Matthew 23.13. Woe for you, teachers of the law, Pharisees, you hypocrites. Shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourself do not enter. Nor will you let those enter who are trying to. So this is this is speaking of the the roadblock that many in the name of religion put in front of people. But as Paul said to this Bar Jesus character, he said you will not prevail. You will be blind, essentially so that others can see God's glory. We also, by way of cross-reverence, look at Matthew 27, 54. Matthew 27, 54. So we have a situation where the the centurion had just seen this miraculous work of God, just like the Sergius Paulus saw the work of Paul. Of course, Paul was a human being, so he knew that Paul did not have the power in himself. Remember, Paul told us, in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. And yet God used Paul to make this man blind. Miraculous works of God bring forth results. The word of God will not return void. And in this case, it led to the conversion of Sergius Paulus. Someday, when we get to heaven, I'd like to ask him more about it. But God works in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. And we can be grateful for that. When the Holy when the Spirit came upon Moses, the plagues came upon Egypt, and he had power to destroy men's lives. When the Spirit came upon Elijah, fire came down from heaven. When the Spirit came upon Joshua, 
He moved around the city of Jericho, and the whole city fell into his hand. But when the Spirit came upon the Son of Man, he gave his life. He healed the brokenhearted. When the Spirit comes into a believer, he makes Christ dearer, heaven nearer, and the word of God clearer. The Holy Spirit is the catalyst for everything in the Christian life. There have been many times in my life when I'm trying to live the Christian life in my own strength and it does not work. That's why Jesus said that if you abide in me, then whatever you ask will be given to you. Why? Because when we abide in him, the things that we ask for will change. It's not about getting the new Ferrari in the driveway or or getting the three million dollars that we wished for when we were a kid. No, it's about give me a heart of flesh, give me a heart of compassion for others. Give me the love for others that you had, Lord, when you stopped and talked to the woman at the well. When you stopped and healed the blind man. That's the kind of prayer that God will answer. Paul said, you are our epistles known and read of all men. There may be people in your life that have never in their life picked up a Bible, but when they see you living out your Christian life, that will make the Bible intriguing to them. Because if people look at my life and they say, why are you so happy all the time? Why do you sing everywhere you go? Then guess what? It's an open door to say, because Jesus put a new song into my heart. And he can do the same for you. My prayer for you is that if he has not yet put that song in your heart, that you would trust him. Because as we said earlier, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So I hope and trust that each of you are born again and that when that final day comes, we will see each other. Because you know what? I'm getting a new body and I've got a lot of exercise and running and a bunch of other stuff to catch up on that I can't do here on earth. But I'm excited to do it in heaven. And so I'm just very thankful that we have a living Savior that we serve and that has kept his promises thus far and will continue to keep his promises. Paul's missionary journey could not be thwarted because it was God's plan. And we'll see that more and more throughout Acts that when Paul moves, God is with him. Sometimes he'll be hindered in the things that he wants to do because it's not God's will. But God always shows Paul where he wants him to be. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word and your goodness to us. And now as we sing this final hymn, bring us out with your joy. Show us where you want us to minister for you this week and bring us back in your will to encourage one another once again next Lord's Day. In Jesus' name, amen.